Active listening is open listening. It's not listening with an agenda. It's not listening to make a point. It's not listening for when you can interject. It's just allowing the speaker to really be able to express themselves. Welcome to the latest episode of the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. My name is Chris Osborne, and I am one half of Real-Time Creative Learning Experiences, one of the proud sponsors of this podcast. And we're delighted you're joining us this week. Uh, We have a special treat for you. This is part two of a recorded webinar that we uh, provided for Lawyer Wellbeing Week back in May of 2020, which seems kind of like a long time ago now. Uh, but it's really not all that long. Uh, and in this discussion, uh, you'll hear part two of the webinar uh, we presented, which was a lively discussion amongst myself and, of course, Michael Kahn, as well as my wife, Wendy Osborne, a licensed uh, uh, professional counselor in training. Uh, she's currently an intern and finishing up her graduate degree in the next month, as well as a licensed clinical psychologist, Dr. Andrea Cochran, who is one of our favorite people on the planet and also uh, a real-time Creative Learning Experiences affiliate, meaning that she helps us both design and deliver uh, some of our presentations and content for law firms and bar organizations and corporate entities and organizations uh, when we do that work. Uh, So I hope you enjoy part two of that recording and keep listening. We look forward to talking to you soon. There are certain aspects of communication that are human. These are human dynamics, a lot of what we're talking about. And another spoiler alert, if you didn't know this before, hear this message, lawyers. We, we are human. We are not superhuman uh, like other people might think we are, like we might be tempted to think ourselves. We actually have emotional tanks. We have reservoirs. We have a finite amount of energy to use in anything, in any situation. And there are studies that confirm this, where they set people up and they do something to deplete their energy and then give them an ethical task or give them a communication task or just see if they're a nice person and they're not. It changes. Um, So our reservoir of tackling all the things, of energy for tackling all the things we have to tackle, it is limited. If we're not filling it, if we're not monitoring it, we're going to set things up for trouble to start with. So please pay attention to that before even thinking about actual tips and uh, strategies. But what we've identified here for our purposes is that on top of being humans and having these normal ordinary struggles that all couples do, if there's any young married couples in, in our audience out there, please know struggle is real and the struggle is universal. And if you meet people who say, oh, we don't have conflict, you should ask some more questions or just wait some more time because something's going to happen if people are showing up. But lawyers have these unique challenges as well in that we have a lot of stress. We are uh, a more stressed out profession than many others. We have a lot of benefits. We have a lot of great things about being a lawyer and a lot of blessings and benefits that offset the stress. But, but we do carry a lot of stress. We draw certain personality types. We haven't always been, uh, and I say this on behalf of myself as well, the most self-aware. And I think we have expectations as well. And that question from the Q&A uh, on webcast world really hit home. Uh, on the question of expectations. We really think we should be able to tackle and accomplish anything that comes our way. And so when a coronavirus pandemic hit, the lawyers that I'm paying attention to, partly in social media, partly people I know, are like, now my kids are home. I have to still be rock star lawyer, and now I've got to homeschool my kids so they don't miss a beat. And there's a lot of pressure. And then they're like, but I can't do all this, and, ha- and I'm having to do it with different tools. Uh, and so I think there's lots of ways that we are set up for challenges, and our training kind of hits on that as well. 
I'm going to go very quickly through a couple mindset changes here in our middle portion, and then we want to spend the last 15 minutes or so really focusing on what are things that we can do that make communication maybe more possible. Uh, but again, these mindset changes are, I think, pretty important to start with. As lawyers, especially for litigators, my friends who are transactional lawyers, I love y'all. I appreciate y'all more and more every day because you all are in deal-making mode. You're trying to help make, you know, bring people together, and you might be better at not getting into a competitive mindset. But those of us who are in the litigation world, it's really hard not to be in a competitive mindset too because we think about any case that goes to court is about winning and losing. We file motions and we request things, and the other side battles it, and somebody wins. Somebody's right, and we like that, and there's a place for that, and we defend people, particularly if we're on criminal defense or defense in a particular lawsuit, uh, and we always speak of being heard is so important. Your Honor, may I be heard, and everybody's got to get side, you know, a chance to, to share their piece, uh, but if we go into a marital communication or a romantic communication and a family communication, sometimes this, these dynamics come up with, with uh, parents or other loved ones. If we go into that with those kind of mindsets, it's setting us up for trouble because if both people are in that competitive mindset, like somebody alluded to, we got a fight or flight thing going on and we don't even, we're not paying attention to what's really going on, what the real issues are. Thinking about different goals in going into a, a conversation, now I'm going to almost replace my whole list with what Wendy said, the idea of being a student of your spouse. And that's not so you can, like you study an opponent so you can pick them apart. That's not what you meant, yeah. right? <laughs> no. Being a student in that you are, tell me, put more flesh on it real quick. What would, what would it mean to be a student of your spouse in a positive way? Well, spending time observing what matters to them, what they enjoy, what they're afraid of, the things that are very meaningful to them, that gives you a lot of data about their greatest hopes and their greatest fears and the things that they probably crave from you and your relationship. That's great. I love that. Uh, and as you're doing that, then it changes the goal of any communication. It can turn into, oh, this isn't about winning or getting my way. This is about how do I love this other person well? What would it mean to love them well in a way that they can appreciate? How can we make the best choice for both of us, given that we both have competing considerations? Um, and understanding and learning about the other person's interests and desires. This is the part that, that Wendy was talking about. And when, what's that, um, there's a, a statistic we were talking about from the Gottman Institute that you mentioned that talks about what are the things that people fight about and how important are they? Oh, well, about 69% of the arguments that couples have, according to research, are over um, issues that can't be resolved. They're more matters of opinion, things based on personality and preferences. So they don't, have, they don't have a right answer. It's not right. like if you don't do this, you're going to, you know, crash right. and burn. There are things that could take you in a circle forever. Right. That's why 69% of arguments are about that. Right. And that's the Gottman Institute that has done extensive research on that. And what does Gottman say? What are the things that can kill a relationship real quickly uh, that you do want to watch out for that yeah, are more about so, how you communicate? So they've identified four horsemen of the apocalypse of marriage. And um, they have found that contempt and defensiveness, criticism, and stonewalling or freezing your partner out have the highest potential to lead your marriage to divorce. So and that's, those are all, it sounds like, more about how we communicate. Like yes. if, if I disagree with you is one thing. I hate you and you're evil because you think that you're a bad person is 
crossing over into contempt. Right, right. These all could have a place on a more moderate place on the spectrum. Like you could give someone constructive feedback without criticizing in a in a way that says your idea and what you want here is stupid. Okay. Right. Uh, but again, the mindset here is to change how we see conflict. It is normal, but not normal in the same way that litigation conflict is normal. It's not, the court system is built as an adversary system. There are many of us involved in mediation and collaborative law who think that's not all it should be, and there should be other you know, ways that lawyers are helping people. The bottom line is conflict is gonna be normal, disagreements are gonna be normal, but they don't have to be seen in the same way. And we can look at it as a sign that the other person cares, they actually want something, and we can learn to, uh, you know, appreciate those things and figure out how we can grow together as an opportunity for learning. That goes back to what Wendy said about being a student. Uh, and so look for win-wins, not zero-sums. So for the last segment here, the last 15 minutes we have, we really want to talk about um, ways to have more productive communication and ways to guard against the things that really are dangerous. Proving that you're right, and I'll say this as somebody who tried to do it, how much? Way too much. <laughs> Early in our marriage, would you say? Yes, far too much. Uh, have you ever done the same thing? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, and and non-lawyer, but every bit as I'd, I'd put her up against any Supreme Court advocate out there, when she cares about something, she knows all the arguments as well. Uh, but Wendy, I'd first say, as far as good communication tactics, what if, if the four horsemen that are so dangerous are what we need to watch out for, what are just ways to watch out, uh, what, are, what are ways to countermeasures for those? Yeah, so I think this all is going to stem from having your emotional bucket or reservoir full. And I saw that someone asked, what if it is negative when you have your weekly check-in? And so I'd say you might want to plan that check-in with your significant other at a time when you could be most full. So therefore, if you're trying to avoid criticism, then starting Can I, can I chime gently, in just real quickly? Yes. Please. I would say, too, in response to that, if, if they're feeling that their energy level is, is zero or negative and it's about time to have this conversation, then that's the time. To me, it's about being accountable and for that person to say, you know what, I am. this is how I was actually on Tuesday. I saw all day of clients, counseling clients, and I was tapped out by the evening. And I, and I told my partner that I just was not able to have any kind of conversation that made any sense and I went for a walk. So to be accountable at that point and say, hey, I know yes. we're supposed to have the conversation, but can, can we maybe do it in an hour or whatever it is you well, need or maybe tomorrow. Yes. Michael, you, you and I have to do that with each other sometimes as business partners. That's we have true. To say, you know what? I, I, don't have, I don't have anything left for this. That's right. That's right. Talking more about how a situation is making you feel and expressing your need in a positive way. So rather than you never get home, I really would like for you, I really need for you to be here to help with X, Y, Z, to be present X, Y, Z. Instead of contempt, um, an important thing to do is to build a culture of appreciation. And so Jenny, hopefully, will learn from this to speak to Kirk that she does really appreciate all he's doing. Um, and yet there may need to be some ways that they negotiate they really need him to be doing all he's doing. So being defensive, taking responsibility for what you can in any given situation. And instead of stonewalling, doing some personal soothing and distracting, again, coming back to that place of caring for self so that then you can care well for another person. 
and speak to that one on defensiveness as well, because that was very hard for me. Um, and I think it was a little surprising to you, actually. Winnie and I were best friends when we got married. We had been best friends, or we were best friends when we started dating. We had known each other 10 years by the time we got married. But had you ever seen me in my more argumentative or defensive side of things? No. Um, and, and I had not seen her in a more upset and um, uh, we hadn't really had any disagreements. We didn't know what, what we did with conflict. And it turns out our families did things very, very differently. And so we had these sort of, we, we defaulted to what we knew to do. Um, and we hit our needs because we were in a dating relationship where we could escape each other. Sure. That is true. Also, so when you do that, you don't tend to argue. And so for me, the defensiveness was a big deal because it was important to me because of my family story. We're not going into all that now, but it's important for me to be a good husband and the good guy and the right guy. And so if she came to me with a need and a disappointment, that crushed me. And that was sort of at the core of it. But but what it welled up was an hair trigger defensiveness. I, I, I would defend. No, you're not right. No, it can't be that all this. And I remember somebody working with me. Um, to help me think through the posture of, of uh, taking responsibility, like you were saying. Um, and, and I remember thinking at first, well, but, but how is she going to learn? And, 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 and how am I going to win? And, and, and the, the person, the counselor I was working with, he said, no, no, no. How do you feel? How do you feel when you say, you know what, you got me? You know what, that's actually true. In fact, the truth is probably worse. And I could feel it. I can feel these and I say those words. I relax because the jig is up. I'm not trying to hold up any image of me being right, of me winning. I'm just like, I can, I can actually be in the moment because I'm like, uh, you're right, I did it again, didn't I? And my posture is different, my, my heart is different. Uh, so the importance of, of the setting and the timing has, uh, has been addressed, you know, how you do this, when you do this, Kirk and Jenny had a terrible setup for that. Somebody made a plug too early on, and I've seen several comments to this um, uh, effect as well, but active listening. Andrea, do you want to say a, just a second or two about, you know, active listening and how that's different from regular listening and what the value is? Just real fast. Sure, yes. Active listening is open, open listening. So it's, it's not listening with an agenda. It's not listening to make a point. It's not listening for when you can interject. It's just allowing the, other, the, the speaker to, to just be able to express themselves and communicate. And again, not just the words, but really be able to express themselves. And sometimes uh, active listening is, is being able to listen in silence. Um, so sometimes silence is actually a communicator. Um, and one just one, one small thing to, to remember and recognize is that very often two people are coming into a relationship, um, whatever type of relationship it is, but we're, we, we come into relationships with our own baggage. So I say that because sometimes it's difficult to, you know, be attentive to, our, to the other person or to kind of take the high road because sometimes we have, we're bringing in our own family dynamics or we're bringing in our, our own trauma or, di you know, difficult situations that, that were present before maybe we've even met the person. So I think it's also um, just being able to recognize that, that at any given moment, both people may not be able to take the high road or to, um, to, to kind of be that student that sometimes, you know, just that the emotional need or the psychological need of both people can be high at, at any given time. This is really important for lawyers, too is that when your partner wants to talk to you, that before, before they, they start talking, check in with them and say, okay, what do you need from me? Do you want me to, to simply be a listener so you can vent? Do you want me to help you solve a problem? Because as lawyers, uh, we can, men or women, we can get into the, the um, trap of 
think we need to solve and fix a problem and the other person just wants to vent. And, and if you get in the way of that, the other person is going to get very frustrated and that could escalate. That's great. And there, there was a comment also in uh, uh, the Q&A that I wanted to highlight real quick. It's one of the most recent ones. This person said, I think lawyers generally are terrible at listening and it's such an important skill to be effective in life and as a lawyer. Don't you think law schools and bar associations should do more to teach lawyers how to listen? Anybody disagree with that? I say a hearty, absolutely. There's actually a great Twitter feed out there called Listen Like a Lawyer. Uh, I forget who it is that's behind it, but is, is trying to, to change that. Uh, I know when I taught negotiation uh, skills and interviewing client counseling, we tried to do this, Michael, and I teach this in some of our workshops. But in the comments, I'd be interested just people vote if you get a chance. And Andrea's got to take off. Thank you, Andrea, Dr. Cochran, for being with us. Uh, she's got to run because she's in, in training for a, a job thing right now. Put in the comments, I'm curious to know how many people, when you were in law school, did you get any instruction in how to listen or any comments on how to listen? I hope and think that's changing, uh, but uh, I know my law school experience, that was not an emphasis at all. But the law school that I taught at, we, we did uh, emphasize that. Um, so it just if you have a chance, just to give us that feedback in the Q&A button. Um, this taking turns idea also speaks to what Andrea was just talking about and really what Michael said as well. Hey, I want to have a chance to talk, and do you have things that you want to say? And, and that's, I know that's a challenge for us, Wendy, in sometimes both being able to, to, to bring what we're feeling. We're feeling a lot. Yeah. What does that feel like for you, and what helps us kind of get through that or, or handle that better? I think for, for me, it helps if we can have more regular check-ins. So there's not as much time for so many things to build up. And if we also work around both of our biological clocks. So I'm oh. a morning person, you're a night person. Very much so. Mornings and evenings are both very busy um, in general. And so it's, the more creative we are, the better. Right. And that goes back to also, like you suggested in the beginning, too, the proactive side of it. Mm -hmm. You can't just say, when we have conflict, let's do it well. You have to actually do the positive nurturing mm -hmm. side. And, and really, uh, what, what, speak a minute to, um, isn't it Dan Allen or somebody who talks about the importance of play? How, how much is that critical for relationships? How does play help uh, restore good yeah. communication ability? Well, well, play is a byproduct of being at rest, and it's restorative, and it builds connection. I mean, that's why kids do it all the time. And so it, it gets you away from the cognitive intensity and reminds you of what you just really enjoy about each other and why you're together. And it really is, uh, you know, neurobiologists are finding out it's, it's chemical as well. There's, you know, doesn't matter what's cause effect. There's good neurotransmitters like oh. oxytocin that are actually yeah. stimulated by play. And it's harder yeah. to have. Serotonin, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's harder to get into fight or flight mode or worst case, you know, when we, when our brain just sort of shuts down and we're just feeling so much, we just say everything. Yeah. Um, we've had to deal with at times, uh, I know I've been a stuffer and, and I don't think I have any problems. If you say, Hey, how are you doing? You check with me. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm good. Mm -hmm. But it turns out there are things in there. So finding a way to let some things out, but then not flooding them all out. Right. And again, the proactive nurturing of the relationship and that, that opportunity to, to just be a student, I, that was a learning good moment for me, actually, just to, I was trying to lab it now. Yeah. You know, what helps us both get to uh, a chance to feel like we're being heard? Um, we've only got about two minutes left. I want to see, Michael, do you have anything you want to bring us from the question world that we can address yeah. uh, with our last few minutes here? We could go on about this. This, this, this could be a long workshop, but... Uh, Give us a few nuggets from the, the, the Q&A world before we have to sign off. 
And the second one you said, Chris, I mean, I'm frustrated because there are so many good comments in here and, and questions. We could spend another couple hours on this topic for sure. I actually wanted to share an, another good comment. One of the uh, listeners said, we always make sure, or viewers said, we always make sure that the other person has alone time or time away to spend with separate friends. Spending time with friends away from your significant other allows the bucket to refill and time away to process and reflect. I, I couldn't agree with that comment more. And it's particularly challenging now with COVID and the restrictions we have. So we need to really be intentional with that. Uh, Michael, so give us some more, bring us some questions uh, and, and either answer them or throw them out to us. Well, all right. Uh, somebody did say this is earlier, but since we have a, a extra minute or two, somebody said, what about skills with communicating with your children? Uh, we're, we're focusing mm. more on partners here, but again, particularly now when the kids are underfoot all the time uh, because they're not going to school. Do, do the, now, the two of you have three daughters, so I'll let you, the two of you speak to that, and I'll chime in if I have something to add. Sure, sure. So we do have three daughters. They're a little bit older. And then I work a lot in the counseling center with children. And so I think that's a great question that this really applies to um, all relationships in our lives. And I would say that, um, you know, children really depend on parents, depending on their age. They really depend on parents to teach them how to be emotionally literate and teach them how to regulate what's going on inside of them. And a lot of times we get distracted by their behavior, which is they, the way that they communicate what's going on inside of them. And so that can in turn lead to a lot of arguments, some disrespectful talk, some difficulty getting along, um, and just sort of bring some chaos in the house. And so it's really important if you have kids in this time to especially keep your emotional reserve tank full um, it's going to mean that some things have to go undone. And I know that that's really, really difficult for all of us, and particularly for attorneys, but really any professional. And so we will not be able to care for our kids in the way that they need us to if we don't have a little extra bandwidth to sit with them when they're hurting, when they're confused, when they're upset, and really be students of them as well. So I tend to tell parents, you know, behaviors stem from some emotion on the inside that they can't communicate. And so rather than just offering correction, we aim to offer connection with them. Um, sitting with them, letting them know that we are there and that we aim to empathize. And if you want more information on dealing with your kids, author Dan Siegel has researched and written extensively on the subject. So I would highly recommend any of his parenting books and he goes really from birth through the seniors what's the main one is it the pot the whole brain child what is well it? that would be for younger kids there's the whole brain child brainstorm is more toward adolescence um the power of showing up is a really powerful one that really unpacks what i just said and then there's also parenting from the inside out where you look at your own strategies for life and how those are affecting the way that you parent. But all of his books are really good. Okay, that's great. Well, um, that's really going to almost bring us to our end here. My name is Chris Osborne. And again, uh, Michael and I and Wendy and Andrea are now uh, and, and a hand for Wendy, uh, her debut with Real Time Creative Learning Experiences. We're thrilled to have her along. Andrea has been presenting with us for a while, but we handle uh, all kinds of stuff involving continuing legal education, professional development, 
We do workshops for leadership of law firms. We do associate training, professional development, uh, ethics and compliance, and sexual misconduct prevention. If there's anything that we can help you with in that regard uh, and have an interactive learning experience where we learn from each other like we did today, we learned from you guys in the uh, chat room, uh, we appreciate it greatly. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. We love hearing from our loyal listeners, so please feel free to email us any questions, comments, suggested topics, or guest recommendations at the following address, feedback at thrivinglawyerspodcast.com. The Thriving Lawyers Podcast is brought to you by Real-Time Creative Learning Experiences, a national provider of continuing legal education and professional development programs that leave participants engaged, encouraged, and equipped to pursue meaningful and sustainable change in their practices, their lives, and the organizations they work in. And by Osborne Conflict Resolution, your experienced guides through the uncharted terrain of business and family law disputes based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. Thank you.